Dear writer, where do good ideas come from? Great writing is a conjuring trick. The reader watches, mystified, as a powerful idea appears on the page or on the screen, fully formed, as if plucked from the ether. Poof. But where did it come from? A true magician never reveals their secret. Meanwhile, the bad ideas are like dead rabbits, martyrs made when the magician failed to extricate them from the hat with skill and care, innocent victims of practice makes perfect, never to be seen or mentioned again. But here's the truth. A newsletter requires glimpses of those dead rabbits. They allow us to treat our substacks as an intellectual proving ground, a place to try new tricks. But eventually, we all run out of rabbits, dead or alive, and nobody clicks subscribe when they're looking at an empty hat. So where do we get good ideas, or even mediocre ones, when we've run out of them? A fair warning, if I had the perfect answer, I wouldn't write just once a week, and I'd have a hell of a lot more subscribers. But there are two insights that I've found useful. So here among the initiated, I'll reveal my secret. In the Middle Ages, beautifully illustrated anthologies of writing were produced that were called florilegia. The name means gathered flowers, and those flowers were wise written snippets that were taken from sages past and present, smushed together and bound. These were the original medieval mixtapes, an aggregation of insight, creativity, and knowledge. The creators of these books understood that all ideas are remixes, and that genius is relational. Every writer is therefore a thief. But what we are guilty of is not a crime, but creativity. Ideas are additive. Einstein discovered relativity by riffing off and refuting existing scientific ideas, not by plucking an entirely new one from the ether. Hercule Poirot had a trusty sidekick because Agatha Christie was dazzled by Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. She was inspired and then created something astonishingly original. Every good idea I've ever had has come, at least in part, from someone else's good idea. Two of my most read Substack articles, The Myth of the Secret Genius and Billionaires and the Evolution of Overconfidence, emerged when I took a less familiar realm of knowledge, evolutionary biology in this case, and combined it with my expertise on the nature of power. It created something fresh. Concretely, this means that when I'm stuck, I take the florilegia approach. I read wise snippets from those who know things I don't, contemplating ideas that are completely new to me. I've recently been inspired by neuroscience ideas from Eric Hole's The Intrinsic Perspective, Helen Lewis's insights and observations in The Blue Stocking, and the consistently out-of-the-box thinking on science and psychology from Adam Mastriani's Experimental History, to name a few. Seeking out unfamiliar intellectual terrain isn't always natural to us, because humans are reinforcement creatures who crave familiarity and loathe uncertainty or the unknown. As a result, we fall into the trap of reading writers who are most like ourselves, figuring that inspiration is most likely to flow from intellectual proximity. In my experience, that's a mistake. Nobody wants a mixtape full of songs from the same band. Every writer has deep expertise, parts of the world they intimately and intuitively understand. And the best ideas, I've found, emerge when writers plant that knowledge somewhere a little different. An economist who brings game theory to sports a poet who writes about politics, or a journalist who, every so often, looks inward and makes themselves the focus of the story. Take what you know and introduce it to something you don't. Unfortunately, hastily arranged introductions don't always work. 
trying to force an idea into the ether so that someone or yourselves can pluck it out and plop it down onto the page is as effective as an insomniac trying to will themselves back to sleep. This is the second lesson I've learned. To rely on a strategy known as leisure time invention. It draws on the experiences of great thinkers past and present who tried and failed to explain the process by which they came up with their best ideas. Einstein swore that his mind was most inventive while playing the violin. The Wright brothers developed the prototype for their flying machine after seeing buzzards during a picnic. Galileo invented the pendulum clock while gazing at a chandelier swaying in a cathedral. Henri Poincaré, a mathematical genius who paved the way for the discovery of chaos theory, toiled with the problem for weeks to no avail. Then one night, he wrote, contrary to my custom, I drank black coffee and could not sleep. Soon, ideas arose in crowds. I felt them collide until pairs interlocked. When he woke up, he marveled, quote, I had only to write out the results. When he stopped trying to solve the problem, he solved it. And when I'm stuck, I take my dog for a walk. I let my mind wander. It's unfocused thought, giving my brain a bit more space to experiment without a goal. Writing, then, is a little bit like learning to be a sponge that never gets wrung out. Always observing, absorbing, thinking. And when the rough blob of an idea flits into my mind, I capture it. Not with paper and quill like the more romantic figures of the past, but with a note on my phone or an email to myself. Sometimes the idea turns out to be a dud. But other times it takes some time to mature and then collides with another rough blob of an idea a few months later. It works. And I swear by it because I've learned the hard way that a forced idea, willed into existence while glowering at a blank page, will almost always end up being a dead rabbit that never had a chance.